0: Welcome into Real Pod Wednesdays. Dan Hope joined by Griffin Strom at the midpoint of the regular season, which makes it an apropos time for a bye week for Ohio State, as the Buckeyes have now played six games in their regular season, six more to go beginning next week at home against Iowa. October 22 was announced on Monday. That will be a noon game on Fox. But this week, the Buckeyes will have a week off. Good time for that. We know they've been banged up with lots of different minor injuries with a bunch of different guys. So, a a good week for the Buckeyes to be able to take a week off, get some rest, get healthy, gear up for that stretch run of the season, which may have bigger tests than we've seen Ohio State face so far in the first half of the season. But Most importantly, Ohio State going into the bye week with a 6-0 record after taking care of business yet again on the road this past weekend with a 49-20 win over Michigan State.
1: Yeah, Dan, it was actually Ohio State's closest game to date against a Big Ten team this season. But that didn't mean very much because, of course, Ohio State still beat Michigan State by 29, 49 to 20, the final score in East Lansing. Dan, the, the hostile environment, you know, the people talked about Ohio State's first road game after five straight at home didn't end up being much of a factor, of course. CJ Stroud did throw his first pick 6 in that first quarter after the Buckeyes had scored on their opening drive, but after that Ohio State hung tough, scored, you know, a bunch of touchdowns in a row after that, you know, ended up with another lopsided victory against a Big 10 opponent. Yeah, I mean,
0: most people were expecting that this would be a pretty comfortable victory for Ohio State. We thought it would be a little bit closer than it ended up being, but ultimately, uh, Ohio State, you know, really taking care of business in this game. I mean, you mentioned the the closest Big Ten game, actually the closest game for Ohio State in the last five weeks, but... Really, not even as close as a final box score showed because Ohio State scored all seven of its touchdowns in the first free quarter and then just kind of took its foot off the gas pedal there in the fourth quarter. One of Michigan State's touchdowns came in the fourth quarter after Ohio State's backups were in the game on defense. So, really, this game went, went, it was 49 to 13 with a few minutes left in the third quarter. And that, that was really. At that point, that was kind of you know the game right there. Ohio State had sealed it, and then they kind of took their foot off the gas pedal from that point. But that's really kind of a theme right now for Ohio State is the past five weeks, Ohio State hasn't really needed to do anything in the fourth quarter because they've been so dominant that – these games have, have all been well in hand by the end of the third quarter, and you know, that was certainly the case again this week in East Lansing, and that starts with a fantastic performance by C.J. Stroud. You, you mentioned the pick six, miscommunication between him and Emeka Buka led to a really ugly-looking interception return for a touchdown, the first of C.J. Stroud's career, but more importantly, he he bounced back from that and had what I think was probably all in all, his best game of the year as he completed 21 of 26 passing attempts for 361 yards and six touchdowns, becoming the first quarterback in Ohio State history to throw six passing touchdowns in three separate games.
1: Yeah, Dan, and, and it was kind of the premise of my post game feature about Stroud was that, you know, com- coming off of that Rutgers game, it was one of his the worst performances of his career you know not not that the final result necessarily you know was cause for concern there or anything but it was a down game for Stroud coming into this one and then you know the Buckeyes made it look easy on their opening drive but then stroud throwing that pick six there if you press pause at that point you know stroud had thrown an interception in each of the past three games it looked like you know kind of an opening for michigan state you know if michigan state was going to have a chance to get back into things that would have been the time to strike and and maybe things could have started to crumble there for the buckeyes but actually it was the complete opposite and i believe after that pick six dan stroud throws completes 15 of his next 16 passes with four passing touchdowns in that mix. Ohio State went on after that interception to score touchdowns on six straight drives. And like you said, you know, labeling it his best performance of the season, it was his highest passer rating of the season. And now after that game, Stroud leads the country in passing touchdowns with 24 and his passer rating of 207.6 is also the highest in the country. And, you know, even with that early miscue dan i mean it was it was a, an amazing performance and he he found a lot of different targets as well and, and i know we're going to get into some of those performances by the wide receivers but you know you'd have to think that stroud is is kind of comfortably sitting as a front runner maybe perhaps the front runner especially as the odds are concerned for the Heisman trophy at present
0: yeah without a doubt i mean you look at the odds from bovada cj stroud is now a minus 130 favorite to win the heisman trophy The next best odds are USC quarterback Caleb Williams all the way down at at plus 1,000. So that's an enormous gap. You know, I had somebody ask me on on Twitter and I, I haven't done the research because it would take a while and I haven't had that kind of time yet. But somebody asked me, when's the last time that a, a player has been that big a Heisman favorite at midseason. And, I, and I'd have to do the research to actually find that out. But those are certainly striking numbers. For Stroud to be that heavily favored already at the midway point of a season speaks to how well he's played so far this year. As you mentioned, best passer rating in the country, most passing touchdowns in the country, also the most passing yards per attempt. I, I think Helped a little bit in that odds conversation by the fact that you know Bryce Young suffered a, a shoulder injury. He's missed the last couple games, and so he's kind of fallen back in that Heisman race. I, I don't think a, a second real tr- major contender has really emerged yet, and there's still time for that to happen. I mean, I, I know H- Hendon Hooker from Tennessee is third in the Heisman odds right now. If if he can go lead Tennessee to an upset over Alabama this upcoming weekend, I imagine his. Odds would jump in a big way. There's there's still time for other candidates to emerge, but I think it's fair to say that right now, the Heisman looks like it's C.J. Stroud's to lose. And if he can continue to play in the second half of a season the way he did in the first half of a season, I think there's a very good chance that he will be Ohio State's first Heisman winner since Troy Smith.
1: And Dan Stroud doesn't have the numbers that he ended up having in that game, if not for a couple of of really circus catches, some highlight reel plays by Marvin Harrison Jr., who continues to look absolutely stellar for the Buckeyes. And he after after a three touchdown performance against Michigan State, he is now the national leader in receiving touchdowns with nine, which is quite a number. And Dan, that was actually his. Third three touchdown performance of his career, dating back to, of course, last season's Rose Bowl when he got his 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 chance to shine, of course, with a couple of those, you know, now NFL wideouts sitting that game out for the Buckeyes. And he just seems to like catching three touchdowns in a game, Dan. There's something about it. He's the first Ohio State player in program history to have three separate three receiving touchdown games. And he's done them in his last seven games, Dan, dating back to last season. I mean, that is certainly something. And the way he's going right now. I mean, I, I wouldn't you know, root against him to to not have a couple more of those before this season's over, perhaps. And Dan, he's also closing in on Ohio State's all-time single season receiving touchdowns record. At least he's on pace to break that right now with Terry Glenn having caught 17 in 1995. He's got nine, of course, right now. Harrison does at just the halfway point of the regular season, let alone whatever postseason games Ohio State m- might be a part of. But, but talking specifically about his performance against Michigan State, Dan, the final numbers for Harrison in that game were seven catches for 131 yards, three touchdowns. Of course, his first touchdown of the game on the opening drive, he-, he mosses a Michigan State defensive back. His third touchdown of the game, Dan, might have been his most impressive as he, you know, had to had to lean over almost like bend in half to, to, to fall forward and, and catch a pass bring it back and score his third touchdown of the game i mean dan what else can you say about marvin harrison jr right now he continues to look more and more impressive as the season goes on
0: i've been keeping like a running list of the most impressive plays of a year because usually at the end of a year i'll I'll go back and i'll compile like the top plays of ohio state season and like half the plays on the list right now are marvin harrison catches like that that's just the, the kind of playmaker he's been so far for ohio state and he just he 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 has a way of just making these ridiculous catches that you don't think anybody anybody could make. And you know he, you know you mentioned I maybe mean, a record that he already broke for the most free touchdown games in Ohio State history. I mean, before Marvin, the only one player ever had even done that twice. That was Joey Galloway. Now Joey Ga- now Marvin Harrison Jr. has already done it three times. And this is a guy who's only halfway through his Ohio State career. I mean, I think at this point, we can start penciling him in as a first-round pick in the 2024 NFL draft because he's certainly on that trajectory right now. But. He's a guy, he started seven games and he's caught three touchdowns in three of them. So he's having a, a phenomenal season and not the only one having a phenomenal season in Ohio State's receiving core because you look at Emeka Buka, he had his fourth 100-yard game of the season in just six games against Michigan State. He is currently fourth in the country with 655 receiving yards. That's number one among power five receivers so far this year. So you know, obviously, we came into the year thinking about all the records Jackson Smith and Jigba could break. That, unfortunately, has not been a possibility for him because he's been injured for most of a year. But Marvin Harrison Jr. and Emeka Abuka have both stepped up in such a big way where now they have a chance to potentially chase after some school records this year.
1: Yeah, and it was good to see for Abuka after, you know, we talked about him having that miscue with Stroud early on in that game. You know, Abuka breaking upfield while Stroud expected him to kind of break the route off underneath and Stroud throws the pick on that one. The very next drive, I think it was maybe even the very next pass attempt for Stroud went to Abuka for a 69 yard touchdown to kind of put that behind both of them there. And yeah, Ibuka, despite everything Marvin Harrison's doing, Ibuka is the, the leading, the, the receiving yards leader for the Buckeyes at the moment. And Dan, that, that, you know, we're going to talk about it later. Some of the surprises or things that have impressed us about this season. But those two guys in particular, and there's still even more after that, but those two guys in particular stepping up in the absence of Jackson Smith and Jigba continues to be just, you know, one of the real highlights of the season so far for Ohio State.
0: We were going into the season. We weren't even sure if Emeko Ibuka was going to be a starter and he's been the most productive wide receiver in the power five. And so what that really does is it speaks to how talented that receiver room is because Julian Fleming has become the kind of player that people have been talking about he could be for a while now too. He had another touchdown in Saturday's game, this time for 51 yards, his longest catch of his career to date. He has now had a touchdown in every game he's played in this season, five touchdowns in the last four games. And so, it. it you know, I was thinking about it over the weekend. I mean, this is an offense that lost three guys who already were or are going to be first-round picks in the NFL draft from last year. If, if you consider the fact that Jackson Svendjigba has really not, effectively has really not played this year. We still expect him to play in the second half of a season, but so far this year, Jackson Svendjigba really hasn't played. They also, of course, lost Chris Olave from Chris Olave and Garrett Wilson from last year. And then they bring in Marvin Harrison Jr., Ameka Buka, Julian Fleming, and they still have a best passing team in the country. So it, 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 it just goes to show the amount of talent that Brian Hartline stockpiled in room and the way he's developed them. And, you know, you, you now think about if Jackson of Jigba can finally get healthy and get back, how much even more dangerous can they become when you now insert a guy who broke Ohio State school records last year into an offense that's already flourishing
1: yeah it's certainly great timing on the bye week for Ohio State because as you mentioned there are injuries at, at several key positions it hasn't slowed Ohio State down yet but one another notable one of those is the fact that before the before kickoff in East Lansing Ohio State announced that Mayan Williams would be unavailable for that matchup which of of course was particularly notable because he was coming off of you know a career best effort against the Rutgers at 189 yards in a, a record-tying five touchdowns, kind of asserted himself in many people's eyes while while Travion Henderson was dealing with injury issues as perhaps, you know, the the, the first string running back for the Buckeyes. In this one, though, Dan, Travion Henderson does return from his injury absence, and, uh, you know, we kind of thought, okay, here, here's an opportunity for, for Henderson to now reassert himself, and, and he did that to a certain extent for sure, ending up with 19 carries for 118 yards and a touchdown, but his day was cut short, Dan, as well, because I believe it was the first drive of Ohio State's second half.
0: First play.
1: Yeah, the very first play of the second half for Ohio State on offense. Travion Henderson absorbs, you know, a big hit to his uh, lower body, to his leg, it looked like. And then he uh, he, he looked like he kind of tried to walk it off a little bit. But then ends up kind of keeling over, ended up limping, limping off to the medical tent. And and we did not see him again in that game. And of course, considering the fact that Williams was out and Ohio State only actually brought three running backs to that game with Henderson, true freshman down Hayden, and then walk on TC Caffey that that figured to be a big development, Dan. But I know Ryan Day kind of cleared some things up about Henderson's status moving forward after the game.
0: Well, yeah, he said after the game that Travion Henderson would have been able to return if Ohio State hadn't already had a big lead. And so Ohio State didn't need Travion Henderson to return to the game. There was no reason for him to return to the game at that point. But it sounds like he would have been able to play if needed. But, you know, certainly at that position right now with both Travion Henderson, I mean, Travion Henderson, you know, you could even see before that there were times that He was limping off the field even after scoring a touchdown. So, you know, he's clearly not 100% right now. Obviously, Mayan Williams is not 100%. They already lost Evan Pryor before the season. So, of all positions right now, that might be the one where they really need a bye week the most to try to get both Travion and Mayan healthy because we know, you know, I mean, again, I mean, I think it it, went healthy. I think that's the best running back tandem in the country right now. We've seen how dangerous both of them can be. But, uh, they need to be healthy. I mean, we can, we can go back and forth about the whole, you know, RB1 conversation, but none of that really matters if they're not both healthy. And so that's the most important thing right now for Ohio State at that position. But, you know, I did think it was a strong showing by Travion Henderson before he left the game, had 118 yards on 19 carries and a touchdown. We saw him, you know, finishing off runs, you know, running through tacklers. I got the feeling, I was hoping we get to talk to him after the game, and, you know, unfortunately that didn't happen happen because of his injury but uh, I I think you know I, I got the feeling just watching him that he was running off a little bit of an extra edge but he was probably he probably had a little bit of a chip on his shoulder after hearing people like me say all week about how great Mayan is I, I think he probably went into that game wanting to remind everybody that he's he's pretty great too
1: and Dan not, not to glorify this because it was a very scary situation but I think it, it kind of is a a testament to what you're talking about there with Henderson he actually you know Knocked a, a Michigan State defender out of the game entirely with a, a hard collision, you know. There, when was that? In, in, at some point late in the first half, I believe. First quarter. Yeah, and that was that was a scary moment. Kind of uh, Trivion's uh, the crown of his helmet kind of connecting with the Spartan player's jaw. There, he ended up having to leave the game. But I think it just it goes to show that that he's really seeking contact at the end of his runs this season. Even remember in the in the Notre Dame game, he had a big highlight running through somebody so you know he he certainly is running hard this season the problem is like you said can guys stay healthy Dan it was interesting to see some of what Ohio State did with both Henderson and Williams unavailable there after Henderson left the game we saw Xavier Johnson return to running back obviously he used to play running back for the Buckeyes before having a little bit more success at wide receiver he got some carries there Dan what did he end up with in the game three carries for 23 yards Dallin Hayden stepping in with 70 yards on 14 carries. He, he's had himself, you know, a decent little season here in the, the relief role, um, racking up some some yardage, in, mostly in games where the final result was already, you know, well in hand. TC Caffey getting, I think, four carries as well. Mitch Rossi, Dan, continuing to get some looks in the running game. Yeah, I, I feel like you know, the, the offense and Ryan Day and Kevin Wilson kind of want to reward guys like Mitch Rossi and Xavier Johnson who have, you know, made an impact on this program. And so I feel like some of that is, you know, looking to, to get those guys the ball, but certainly showing that, you know, how high state does have options if, if those guys aren't, you know, available to go.
0: We should say you kind of glossed over it, but Jaden Mangum, the safety who left the game, that scary collision for Michigan State in case anybody didn't see Mel Tucker did say after the game that Jaden Mangum wasn't good on Monday. Mel Tucker, during his press conference, said that Mangum was progressing well. And so that that's the good news there. That was certainly a, a scary moment there watching that from a press box to see him motionless on the field for, for multiple minutes. That's, that's never a sight you like to see. And, you know, you could see even Ohio State was concerned. Travion went over to say something to, to to Mangum, you know, make sure that he was okay. Ryan Day was also over there checking on him as well. And all the players were kind of standing there applauding as Mangum was cuttered off the field and was ultimately able to give a thumbs up to the crowd. So, you know, most important news of a the game there that Jaden Mangum was okay, did not suffer a serious injury in what what was certainly a scary moment in that game but to get back to the point about you know what they were doing with you know xavier johnson in that game i thought you know that there was some really creative looks you know not even just of xavier johnson where were some plays where they ran the end around of, of a mecca buka you know some different things like that and i thought it was interesting what ryan day said after the game where he basically said along the lines of you yeah, know yeah we came into this game doing some creative things and we held some of them so there was more tricks in that bag that they didn't have to use because they had such a big lead and there was no reason to show certain wrinkles but you could see you know the way like the way they were using Xavier Johnson you know some of those plays they were you know bringing him in motion before giving him the ball you know he he did take a couple snaps just like as a running back but you know you could see there was some creative things in there some of which they showed and some of which they didn't and I I think that just kind of follows the trend we've seen so far of season where I think in the running game in particular, I think Ohio State has gotten a lot more creative this year. I think we've seen a lot more different looks and just putting more and more things into the playbook more and more things on film and I mean the way Xavier was running I mean he didn't look like a wide receiver running the ball I mean he was like he was finishing through tacklers and and falling forward I think he averaged like eight yards a carry and so he he looked good I mean he's a guy who spent a couple years at running back was praised by Tony Alford when he was a running back as somebody who could contribute and we never actually saw that happen but now, when they needed him to do that, he was able to step up. So he's certainly a guy, you know, along with Mitch Rossi, who yeah, I think we should give Mitch Rossi some love, too, because Mitch Rossi had like five blocks in that game where I'm like, damn, that was a nice block, especially when you're, you know, rewatching a game on film. So I think those are two guys. I mean, yes, there is an element of wanting to reward those guys. But it's also just the fact that they've they've proven that they can make plays like I mean, they're they're good players like it's not it's not just like a charity to put those guys out there. Those are both guys who have kind of carved out their own unique niches and are, are earning playing time because of that. And so I think the fact that, hey, you have this guy who can play tight end and fullback and even running back. You need him. You have this guy who can play wide receiver. And, and and running back, just having all these different guys of all this d- different kind of versatility, it it just gives Ohio State so many more options for what it could do. And I think you know, you think back to a year ago, I, I think a lot of times it was almost like Ohio State was so talented that it didn't need to do those things that much. But it kind of felt like Ohio State just kind of went out there and just and just did its thing and didn't have as many change ups off of a fastball. Whereas it feels like this year there's been a much more concerted effort to add new wrinkles into the offense every week. And I think that's going to pay major dividends for Ohio State down the stretch of this season when they do face tougher competition that they have all these different things in their playbook that they can go back to and use as needed.
1: How about the running game on the other side of the ball, though, Dan? Moving on to the Ohio State defense here, Michigan State ran for just seven yards on 20 carries there by the end of the game. Dan. And you remember what Ohio State did against Kenneth Walker and company in that blowout game when Michigan State came to Columbus a year ago. You know, that was with a much more high profile running for Michigan State. But, you know, things weren't weren't much different this year when you look at what Michigan State was able to do. You know, really just a a non-factor at all was Michigan State's uh, running game. But then even through the air as well, Dan, Peyton Thorne finished with just 113 yards, one touchdown, an interception by Lathan Ransom on the opening, opening Michigan State drive, which, you know, looked promising for the Spartans there early, but was snuffed out there by another Buckeye turnover. Ohio State now has six turnovers in the last four games, at least one in each. Peyton Thorne finishing 11 for 18. And Dan, one guy that we were watching there on the Ohio State defense, who we thought, you know, might might be held out for the entire game because we didn't see him Go out there in the in the final you know eleven on eleven warmups before the game started was Mike Hall who of course early in the season really established himself as perhaps you know the 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 foremost breakout surprise kind of star for the Ohio State defense. He ends up playing very few snaps in this game, Dan, but still winds up you know our, our defensive player of the game for the Buckeyes in against Michigan State. He had two
0: and a half sacks and seven snaps. That's a pretty good success rate, I would say. Ohio State using him really just as a third down situational pass rusher in this game and I think you know some of that was a pride of fact that you know he did miss that Toledo game with a shoulder injury and they wanted to limit some of his reps but it, it turned out to be a very effective role for him because he's coming in the game he's fresh and it seemed like every time he was in the game he he, he was making plays and so you know he you know he was really Im- impressive but I think for the game as a whole, I think it was just a dominant performance by the defensive line. I think they really had their way with, with Michigan State's offensive line. And, you know, I, you know, when I go back to, again, you know, I think, you know, I think there's defensive linemen on this team that are playing well. That don't necessarily have the stats like you know, J T Tuamolo. I think he probably got held about ten different times in that game on Saturday. He only got called on a couple of them, but you know he he was bringing a lot of pressure. I thought you know Zach Harrison had another good game up front. We saw Teron Vincent and Jeron Cage both make some plays in the backfield, and and when I and I think I think the defensive line is doing a really good job of working together. Along with you know the linebackers behind them and the safeties coming up making plays behind them, I think I think every every one of the defense is doing a really good job of working in concert to make plays. I mean, if you, you watch if you watch Mike Hall sacks over again, they weren't just him just beating his man one on one and making a play. A lot of times it was somebody else brought pressure to collapse the pocket, and then Hall is finishing off the play. Now that's still significant because I think. I think it is a fair critique to say if you want to look at the defensive ends and say they're not finishing plays for sacks. I think all the defensive ends have had more opportunities to make sacks than they've actually made sacks. And so I think it's a fair critique to say that the defensive ends could have more sacks and you want to see them finish more sacks. But I also think it's important to recognize that some of the sacks that Mike Hall has made or Tommy Eichenberg has made or other players have made some of those were made possible by what the other players on the defensive line are doing and so I think the defensive line as a whole has played well this season. I, I think you can absolutely say at this point that Mike Hall has become that quote-unquote alpha dog that Larry Johnson referred to before the season. And we are recording this before the Tuesday press conference. Larry Johnson is speaking at that press conference. So most likely by the time you're listening to this, Larry Johnson will have been asked if Mike Hall was the alpha dog, and we'll see if he's actually answered it. Mm-hmm. But uh, As we record this on a Monday afternoon before Griffin heads to Minneapolis for Big Ten basketball media days, I would have to say that Mike Hall is the alpha dog of a defensive line with the way he's played so far this year and and just the plays that he's been able to make.
1: Yeah, Dan, I was joking to you and uh, Garrick Hodge coming back from the game that you guys might remember when Kevin Wilson said in the preseason that, uh, you know, Mike Hall is the best third string tackle he's ever seen and you know Larry Johnson quickly came came out afterwards and said oh my call is not running with the threes anymore but I, I remarked to you guys that like man what was my call doing to those third string Ohio State offensive linemen because the things he's doing to you know Big Ten offensive linemen right now first string guys and you know in a game like on Saturday and very limited snaps is just you know really something else right now for this defense but Dan if there was something to nitpick about the Ohio State's performance particularly defensively it would have to be cornerback play, which has been a question for the Buckeyes for you know a number of reasons. One of which being you know health concerns. Cameron Brown missed the past couple games for the Buckeyes with an issue, an injury issue. He came back for this one, which was a, an encouraging sign for the Buckeyes, who now have you know Brown and Burke at least relatively healthy, healthy enough to to play and start games for the Buckeyes. However, Dan, it was not a particularly memorable performance for Brown. Who gave up a couple of long completions in the passing game? I think that opening, like 20-yard pass play on that first drive by Michigan State was one that Brown gave up. After that, Dan, he he was flagged for defensive pass interference two times. He had another horse-collar tackle of that he was flagged for as well. And, you know, it's it's not like it was anything was super consequential there because of course Michigan State only finished with 195 passing yards, and Ohio State ends up beating him by 29. But if you're gonna look at something and say, You know, that didn't look all that great for the Buckeyes. I think it'd be hard not to kind of point at cornerback play with what we've seen from Denzel Burke and also that, you know, latest performance from Cam Brown.
0: Yeah, I mean, I'll give Burke credit, though. I think Burke had a better game than we've seen from him most of a year. Yeah, I don't recall him. I think pro football focus did not have him giving up any catches, and he also made some nice tackles in run support. So I'll give Burke credit. I think Burke probably had his best game of a year against Michigan State. Definitely was not Cam Brown's Fine, finest performance. You know, we saw. You know, J.K. Johnson get beat for a touchdown. Jair Brown get beat for a touchdown. But I, I think what Ryan Day said after of a game was true, where he said, you, you know, "We we've been there. We've been in position to make the plays. We're just not making them." Because if even if you watch that game, I mean, Jaden Reed, I, I I said it last week, but Jaden Reed is going to be the best receiver Ohio State has faced this year, and we saw that. I mean. It was, the, the plays Reed made, most of them were not an instance of he was left wide open. Ohio State had somebody on him, but he was just making better plays. You know, the kind of plays we're accustomed to seeing Marvin Harrison Jr. make. He, he was making those kind of plays against Ohio State's cornerbacks. And so I, I think after re-watching the game on, on film, I think I felt better about the cornerback play than I did actually watching it live because I thought most of the plays that they gave up they they were in position, you know. It, it really, really wasn't awful coverage. It was just Jaden Reed or Michigan State making a better play, and, and still Ohio State held Michigan State to only 195 passing yards. And so it's not it, it's not as if it was a bad day by the pass defense by any means. I think the concern that, that that many people have is that if Ohio State faces a really good passing offense, which it hasn't yet, and it still might not for some time. Will those cornerbacks be their Achilles heel that, that costs them? And I, I think that's a fair question. I think if, you, if you're going to single out one position right now that's a concern at midseason, I, I would look at the cornerbacks because I think, you know, we again, I mean, Denzel Burke, Cam Brown, they've both been in and out of a lineup due to injuries and they've been inconsistent when they've been in there. You know, I mean, you know, J.K. Johnson, Jair Brown. We've seen some good things from those guys. We've also seen some moments of inexperience for those guys. And so, I do think that if there's one position group that you look at that you know needs to step up in the second half of a season, that that needs to play better than it has, it, it's cornerback play. I, I I I also think Ryan Day is correct that there's nothing happening there that's not fixable because for the most part guys have been in position. It's not like they're just getting beat and leaving guys wide open, which we, we've seen plenty from this this defense in the past couple of years of examples of guys just getting left wide open and total coverage busts. That has not been the problem. It's it's more just been guys getting beat in those one-on-one situations. And so certainly I think you think of a bye week this week, a focus on fundamentals, that's something that Tim Walton, Perry Eliano, that Ohio State coaching staff is going to need to work on with the corners on on making plays on balls in the air, because I think that's certainly an area where they have room to grow.
1: The good thing for those cornerbacks and for Ohio State is that the play at, you know, up front, like we talked about at linebacker and at safety has all been, you know, so good that that any kind of shaky play in, you know, at cornerback hasn't really mattered all that. You know, talk about Lathan Ransom getting, uh, I believe, his, his first career interception in that game early on, you know, Ryan Day really credited Ronnie Hickman, who I think was the Ohio State's second leading tackler in that game afterwards. Tanner McAllister as well, you know, be, being really consistent, you know, bringing guys down, uh, not allowing yards after catch as well. He's a guy, he had that big interception a couple of games ago. Those, those are just some other guys that stood out, Dan. And, and speaking of Ransom as well, you know, he got the nod over Josh Proctor for, I believe, the first time this season in, in a game in which both the guys were actually available. Both have dealt with uh, some injury issues here to start out the season, but, you know, he uh, you know, made the, the coaching staff look good there with that move, considering that early interception, which really helped Ohio State gain momentum early on. Yeah, I mean, we've heard Jim
0: Knowles talk so much about this being a safety-driven defense. And and I think, I think those safeties have, to some regard, maybe kind of been the unsung heroes of the defense so far. Because – you know we're not seeing Ronnie Hickman make as many tackles this year as he did last year because so many more plays are being made in front of him than they were a year ago. But I think he's been really reliable there, just in in that middle of the defense on the back end. I thought Leif and Ransom had an excellent game stepping in there for Josh Proctor. He looked really good in in coverage. I, I imagine, you know, I think I think some of that is going to be matchup dependent. I think you saw the last couple weeks. They're playing against teams that run the ball more, a little bit bigger. They want Josh Proctor in there as that guy who's a little bit more of a hitter, or maybe a little bit stronger in the run game. Even going against a spread team like this, they, they might favor Ransom because Ransom might be a little bit better, a little more consistent in, in coverage. And so we'll kind of see how that plays out over the course of a season. But I thought, you know, Ransom certainly made the coaches look smart for for starting him with the way he played in that game. And then Tanner McAllister is a guy that I, I think he's, definitely one of the quiet stars of his defense. I mean, when I was watching the game uh, on review, I mean, there were three or four times where, you know, Michigan State has a screen pass and he's just in perfect position and and is just such a a clean, consistent tackler. And so I think Tanner McAllister is a guy that I think he's been exactly what he was supposed to be for this defense, which is a a stabilizing force, not a guy who's necessarily going to be one of the star playmakers of a defense. But a guy who knows the scheme really well and just brings a lot of stability at that nickel safety position and, and is rarely ever going to get beat for a big play. And, and so I, I think I think both safeties have done what Ohio State have needed needed to do. And I think, you know, they, they probably don't get as many accolades as a Tommy Eichenberg or a Mike Hall up front, but I think they've done their jobs really well
1: let's face it Dan I mean Ohio State right now you know we're making a couple of nitpicks here about some stuff but if you look at Ohio State through six games they look pretty darn good and when you stack up their resume kind of against some of the other top powers in college football right now and you know a lot of people saying that Ohio State might be the best team in the country right now Dan but if you had to pick you know how are you feeling right now about Ohio State's chances to win the national championship?
0: I I would pick Ohio State to win the national championship right now, and I, I don't say that lightly because you know I people may remember I did not pick Ohio State to win before the season. I think I was the only one on our staff that didn't pick Ohio State to win before the season. You know I I, I try not to pick Ohio State to win at all if I don't truly believe it because I think it's easy to just pick the team you cover to win every time. I I don't want to do that if I don't really have conviction toward it, if I don't really believe it objectively. But right now, I believe objectively that Ohio State is the best and most complete team in college football. And I mean, you just just look at the numbers for this team on both sides of the ball. This team currently ranks in the top 15 in every major category on offense and defense. Offensively, Ohio State currently has the number one scoring offense, number two total offense and is 14th in both passing and rushing offense. So that's certainly the kind of balance that you want there. Tennessee is the only team that that is also currently ranks in the top 15 in both passing and and rushing offense. And Tennessee is also the one team that has more total yards per game so far this season than Ohio State. But the offense has been exactly fought. It could be, you know, I think the passing offense has been spectacular, but I also think the rushing offense has taken a clear step forward, you know, you know, both of the way Mayan and Travion have ran. And I think especially just with the way they're getting push up front, I think the offensive line is just, you know, controlling the line of scrimmage in a different way than it did last year. I think the, the tight ends and the receivers have also done an excellent job of, of helping the Buckeyes block up front. And, you know, and I saw a stat, Mark Pantone retweeted it on Monday. I'm going to look it up here real quick, and I think it speaks to how good the Ohio State offense has has been. The Buckeyes in Big Ten play this year, averaging 45.3 points in the first three quarters, only 4.6 in the fourth quarter. And so they're putting up these numbers while basically just running out the clock for 15 minutes of game. So that tells you how good this Ohio State offense has been so far this year. And then... More importantly, I think, because of what we saw the past couple years, you flip it over to the other side of the ball. We talked so much before of the year about how Ohio State thought it would have a top 10 defense. So far, Ohio State is backing up those, those words. They're number seven in total defense, number 15 in scoring defense, number eight in passing defense, and number 15 in rushing defense. And so right now, there is just no real weakness on this team. They are playing well in every phase of the game. They've beaten their opponents by an average of 33.2 points, which is the highest average margin of victory in the country. Now, I think the one big caveat of all that is Ohio State hasn't played anyone yet who is currently ranked in the top 25. And so there's still a part of me that goes I still don't know how good this team is yet just because we haven't seen them play anybody who's really good and and I don't say that as a means of trying to discredit Ohio State if 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 I was a poll voter I would have Ohio State number 1 right now because I think Ohio State has been the most dominant team in the country and I believe resume above all when it comes to rankings and so if I was voting right now I would put Ohio State as the number one team in the country. I think Ohio State deserves to be the number one ranked team in the country. So when I say they haven't really played anybody, I don't say that as a means of trying to you know discredit what they've accomplished so far. But I do say it as a a caveat devil's advocate of they've looked great, but I also don't think any of the teams they've played are particularly good. And so – we got to see how they look against Penn state at the end of the month. We got to see how they look against Michigan. You know I mean? Those teams I think are going to present tougher challenges. I think, I think maybe even Maryland could be a tougher test than any team we've seen Ohio state play so far. So I, I think there's tougher tests to come and I still don't think they've played enough good competition yet for us to really be able to confidently say how good this Ohio state team is. But I think based on everything we've seen so far, not only with Ohio State, but elsewhere in the country. I think if you're just going off, if you're going off the stats and if you're just going off the eye test, to me, Ohio State looks like the best team in college football right now.
1: Yeah, Dan, I agree with that assessment. I think Ohio State looks like the best team in the country right now. However, I will say, I still don't feel like overwhelmingly confident that Ohio State, I'm not going to sit here and say, I be, I truly believe Ohio State is, is definitely going to win the national championship. And I know we're talking about this season, but but the reason I say that is just because of, you know, years past. You look at 2019, Ohio State at times looked like the best team in the country. We saw what happened in that semifinal, you know, controversial calls aside there. You know, 2020, that, that run to the national championship and seeing you know, that Alabama program being, you know, so far ahead of Ohio State in that national championship game. Even last year, Dan, you talk about Ohio State's performance against Michigan State, you know, late in the season. At that point in time, it looked like, man, Ohio State might be the best team in the country. And then we see that, that some of their, you know, weaknesses ended up getting exposed there by teams that could do some different things. So that's why I think it's a very valid point to say, listen, we, we've got to see, we might have to wait a little bit further. A, a couple more, you know, highly ranked opponents here in, in Ohio State has Michigan and Penn State you know, coming up in, you know, the coming month here. And so I think that's going to tell us a lot about this Ohio State team, even though I, I, I certainly would say right now, based on resume to resume and the, the struggles that other teams have had, if you look at the Georgias and, and uh, Alabamas and teams like that, I think Ohio State right now deserves to be sitting at number one. But if you had to pick right now, if your money was on it, does Ohio State win the national
0: championship this season? Yes or no? I'm going to go no. Gun to my head, I'm going to go no. So, who, so who, who would win it right now? Who would you pick for you right now?
1: I mean, like, Georgia scares me. Georgia scares me, honestly, just because of, you know, what they're capable of doing. And I know they've had the close games and everything like that, but just just that brand of football. And how does Alabama ever not scare you? Even, you know, with Bryce Young's injury situation and the fact that, you know, they've had a couple single digit margins of victory in recent weeks. But I mean, how do those two teams not scare? If you're Ohio State, I, I certainly think Ohio State looks like they're capable of beating them. But I, I'm going to hold off on making that that the decision right now. That Ohio State is for sure going to win the national championship, regardless of if it, if it you know pisses off the listeners here. Yeah. Well, the question wasn't for sure. The question was, if you had to pick right now, does Ohio
0: State win the national championship this season? I'm 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 saying yes right now. If I have to pick. I'm thinking that I think Ohio State will win the national championship this season. I'm not saying that they're for sure going to win the national championship I'm not guaranteeing anything, but if, if I had to pick right now, I'm picking Ohio State to win the national championship this season because I think, based on what I've seen, I think right now, they're better than Georgia. They're better than Alabama. Now, if you're asking me, you know, which team do I think is the biggest threat to Ohio State Championship hopes right now, I, I probably would go with Georgia. You know, I think we've seen when Georgia's been at its best that they are a, a very dangerous team. You know, they're still a really good team on on defense. I think Stetson Bennett has exceeded my expectations as, as a passer and they can run the ball really well too. So I, I would say right now that Georgia is the team that would scare me the most for Ohio State. Like you said, I'm I'm never going to count at Alabama as long as they're in the race. As long as Nick Saban's for coach there and, and Alabama's in the college ball playoff race, I, I'm never going to count at Alabama. I, I would say that, you know, if they were my preseason pick. I would say they have not impressed me as much as I thought they would so far this year at the same time, as you mentioned, Bryce Young has been hurt. If, if he gets fully healthy, you know, I think they've had some receivers out too. I, I think that could certainly change. Their defense has been among the better defenses in the country. And so I certainly still think Alabama has, is a threat. And I think, I think there's teams too. I mean, I think, you know, Clemson's playing well right now. You know, USC, we talked about it. They're undefeated. Uh, they've got a big game coming up this weekend against Utah, but uh, you know, they're a dangerous team. I mean, Tennessee, I mean, I think Alabama Tennessee this weekend is going to be a really interesting game. I, I don't think it's out of a question at all that Tennessee wins that game, and if Tennessee wins that game, they're going to put them their, themselves right in that conversation for being a championship contender and and. You know, again, we talk about Michigan, Penn State. They play each other this week, too. They're both top 10 teams. I I probably don't look at Penn State as a national championship contender, but they're certainly a team that I view as a threat in terms of Ohio State's got to go beat them on the road later this month. And and Michigan, so far, they've looked like one of the best teams in the country. So I certainly view them as a threat as well. So there's, there's plenty of teams that are capable of beating the Buckeyes. But right now, right now, I would pick the Buckeyes to beat anybody.
1: Yeah, I'm more confident in Ohio State's chances to win the national championship than I was either the past two seasons. You know, I really like the way Ohio State has specifically addressed the things that, you know, their shortcomings from from a season ago, and the fact that they're able to win games when CJ Stroud doesn't have his best game, you know, you know, win games on the ground, win games with defense, like all of those things specifically address what cost them in games last season stopping the run, things of that nature. So yeah, I say, yeah, they look like the best team in the country. And and you know, my 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 holding off on the national championship prediction is more so based on the the things that we've seen in some of those crucial moments the past few years, which you know may, may not be hyper relevant to, you know, what's going to happen this season, but it does give me cause for concern here first Concern here, Dan, but and know- know,
0: I do think there are a lot of parallels to 2019. I think 2019, you know, stacked up very similarly in terms of the fact that you know that was a team that w- was dominating, you know, every game of uh, the way this team is so far. They were really strong on both sides of the ball. I think where I look at it right now is I, I don't know if the other teams other top teams are as good as LSU and Clemson were that year. I, I think right now, I think Ohio State may be that team that, that, that maybe is is the best of all of them. There's certainly a long way to go, and we'll get a clearer picture as the season progresses, but I think you see all the elements of a national championship team with Ohio State right now. There's still a lot that has to happen to actually make it happen, but it, it feels like all the elements are there, and you also just get the feeling that, I think the Buckeyes feel like this is their year. Like you just get a, a real sense of belief from everyone in the program that I don't think was there the last couple of years. I think there's a real sense of belief that, uh, that this team has what it takes to, to you know, win it all. And I think, you know, the thing that's also encouraging is I, I think we're seeing Ohio State play up to that standard week in and week out. It, you know, this, you know, I think, and that's something I don't think we've seen yet, from those other teams like Alabama and Georgia. I think we've seen those teams, you know, play down to their competition in some of their games. And I think Ohio State, again, with a caveat that I don't think Ohio State has played great competition, you know, the past five weeks, Ohio State has done what it's supposed to do. It, it, it has taken care of business comfortably week in and week out. And that's what you want to see. You want to see a team that isn't having to scrape by to survive and advance every week. They're going in, they're taking care of business. They are beating the teams they're supposed to beat the way they should be able to beat them.
1: And Dan, you know, we talked about the fact that we are heading into the bye week here, which makes it kind of a perfect stopping point and a natural spot for us to kind of reflect on the first half of the regular season and do some superlatives here, Dan. And we'll start with this one here. Which player has impressed you the most so far on the Ohio State roster in the 2022 season?
0: It's hard not to go of Tommy Eichenberg because I mean that that's a guy who, you know, last year, I mean, he, he probably drew as much criticism from Ohio State fans as, as any player. You know, he you know, he certainly you know, I think I think the scheme last year did not fit him well. I don't think that they played him to his strengths, and I think he really struggled as an inexperienced linebacker. I think this year, I think the scheme fits him perfectly. I think he knows what he's doing out there. I think he's playing with a ton of confidence, and, and he has been as consistently great as any player on the team this year. And so I gotta go. You know, you could talk about relative to expectations coming into the year. I thought Tommy Eichenberg would have a good year. I did not think Tommy Eichenberg would be a potential All American candidate at midseason, and so I gotta go with him.
1: Yeah, it would be hard not to go with a guy like Mike Hall if you talk about relative to expectations because, you know, I don't know what necessarily my expectations were for Mike Hall, but they certainly weren't that he was going to be, you know, leading Ohio State in sacks by a significant margin, having a, a two and a half sack game on seven snaps against a team like Michigan State on the road. I mean, the things he's done has been, you know, nothing short of sensational for the Buckeyes in just his second season after, you know, hardly playing at all in his first year. I would In the same vein, I would also throw, and you know, this one's this one's tougher because I we did have, you know, big expectations for Marvin Harrison and Emeka Ibuka. But as we kind of talked about earlier, I've been extremely impressed with the fact that, you know, that they their play has essentially rendered the fact that Jackson Smith and Jigba's injured, you know, basically obsolete in terms of like it's it's just been a non-factor. You know, Ohio State hasn't need needed Jackson Smith and Jigba to win games so far this season and to put up spectacular numbers in the passing game. What surprised you most about
0: this Ohio State team so far?
1: I think what surprised me the most about Ohio State is that they've had these these injury issues just about every week where they've lost starters in every game. You talk about not having Mike Hall for a game here or there, not having Travion Henderson, not having Mayan Williams, not having Jackson Smith and Jigba, not having Tanner McAllister for a certain game. You know, the list goes on in terms of guys that are, could potentially be huge losses for any particular game. But Ohio State, you know, it's been a, like I said about Jackson Smith and Jibba, it's essentially been, you know, a non-factor in terms of the consequences of those losses in every single game because the the depth is just there for Ohio State. You talk about cornerback as well. Ohio State's had both of their starting cornerbacks out for games, you know, that still being, you know, one of the the, the lingering concerns for Ohio State. But I think that's, and not even that that's a, a massive surprise, but, but that is another thing that I, I suppose has, impressed me about Ohio state and the fact that those losses have been so inconsequential. What about you Dan?
0: Yeah. I mean, I think, you know, kind of similarly, like it's not, it's not necessarily a shock, but it's something that, you know, just has impressed me is the, you know, how consistent the defense has been so far considering the struggles that it had last year. And not just that, but the fact that the defense has played this well, Even though a lot of the guys we were talking about going into the season as guys who were going to be stars on the defense haven't really been that yet. I mean, JT Tuamolo and Jack Sawyer have been good players. They have not been great players. They have not been game changers. Denzel Burke, again, he was a guy we thought, you know, he he might be one of the best cornerbacks in the country. He has not been that yet. You know, Ronnie Hickman, I said, you know, he's been really reliable. I think he's played really well, but he hasn't been that, you know, difference maker that he necessarily was a year ago you say all of that and yet this defense is playing at a really high level every week which I think you know speaks again you know to the emergence of guys like Tommy Eichenberg and Mike Hall and 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 Steele Chambers and and other guys who have really stepped up but I think it also speaks to just the, the schematic strengths of this defense and the way everybody's playing together and you know, I think last year I looked at the defense and I thought it really was a big problem that Ohio State just didn't have that many star players on defense. Or I think this defense is showing it's not necessarily about stardom. You don't necessarily need that Chase Young or Nick Bosa who's out there, one man wrecking crew. if if everybody's all just playing together and doing their jobs. And I think that's the thing this defense is really doing well. And so I think it's, it's a different kind of defense than we've seen at Ohio state in the past. And I think it's working really well.
1: Dan, which player needs to step up the most in the second half of the season?
0: Yeah, I mean, I think you got to go, I mean, you you look at the cornerbacks collectively as I think the unit that really needs to step up the most. And I I think that does start with Denzel Burke, who, you know, like I said, I think he had his best game of a season against Michigan State. But I think he's that guy that you really need him to reestablish himself as the number one cornerback in this team and one of the best cornerbacks in the country like he has the talent to be, because we did see at times that it felt like he was getting picked on this year and that, you know, he, he was not the shutdown guy that everybody thought he was going to be going into this year. And I do think that when you get into that home stretch of a season and you, you know, we talked about, I feel like the area of this team, when I look at the stats, the, the one stat for this team that I look at and I go, I don't quite buy that is them being eighth in passing defense because I think a lot of that has to do with the fact that they just haven't really faced a great passing offense yet and so I still I still don't buy that this is actually a top 10 passing defense right now can they get there yeah but I, I I still don't buy that they're there yet because I just don't think that they've actually played anybody who can really challenge them enough in the passing game To really put them to the test fully as a pass defense, and so you know that that's still the big question I have with this team. And I think you know, I mean, we've seen the defensive line play well as a whole. Again, I think you know the, the 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 part B of that answer could be you know, vet defensive end trio of, of Jack Sawyer, JT Tui Moloow, and Zach Harrison. I think you want to see those guys put up some more sack numbers in the second half of the year and, and make some more game-changing plays from that defensive end spot because that's important to the past defense as well. But I think it really starts with those corners and, and particularly Denzel Burke is the guy that they really need to be re- able to rely on consistently as that number one corner.
1: Yeah, Dan. My first answer would have been that the two starting cornerbacks, as well for Ohio State, and then you you mentioned my my other answer there, of course, as well. Which, but I'm gonna I'm gonna single out JT Tui Moalau just because you know we we had a lot of. A lot of people thought, you know, he might have been the alpha dog that that Larry Johnson was talking about there before the season started. And he has yet to have a sack this season. We mentioned, you know, he was getting held against Michigan State, things like that. He has made, you know, an impact flushing quarterbacks out of the pocket and making some plays in that regard. But I think a lot of people would like to see him start to rack up some actual sacks, you know, that that, you know, you can you can have on the stat sheet there, you know, for the Buckeyes. Any changes
0: to your college football playoff picks after this past weekend? I think you moved USC into your top four last week.
1: Yeah, and another not altogether, you know, impressive performance by USC necessarily against what was it, Washington State, Dan? Yes. Um, but, you know, I'm going to keep USC in there for now. I'm, I'm, I'm not going to change, you know, maybe the the one, two, three jockeys a little bit, but but in terms of the, the, the four-team field, I'm going to keep it set as is. How about you, Dan? Yeah,
0: I'm going to stick with mine as well of Ohio State, Georgia, Alabama, and and Clemson. But I I think the team that I'm most tempted to move out right now, honestly, would be Alabama, just because I'm not I'm not sure they're gonna win this weekend. I think a very interesting game. You look ahead to this weekend. I think it's a good weekend for us not to have to actually cover a game because it is a loaded slate of games this upcoming weekend. You've got Penn State playing Michigan in a battle of top 10 teams at noon. You've got Alabama playing Tennessee in another battle of top 10 teams at free 30. You've got probably the biggest test of the year for aforementioned USC at Utah. Clemson going to have a a road test as well against Florida State. Two other matchups between ranked teams, NC State, Syracuse, Mississippi State, Kentucky. And I I think going into, you know, a few days ago, if you asked me this question, which game I, I was most looking forward to watching. I, I probably would have said USC Utah. I think if you, Utah had beaten UCLA. That probably would have been my number one because, and I had Utah in my final four at the start of a year, and they're certainly not going to be there now with two losses. But I, I still think that's going to be a real test for USC, a game that could go either way. And I'm I'm really looking forward to watching that one. Uh, of course, Penn State, Michigan, that's a game I'm certainly going to be tuned into. The, the two biggest frets to Ohio State in the Big Ten, the two biggest games remaining on their regular season schedule, certainly going to be tuned into that one and watching that game closely to see how both of those teams look and what will be for both of them their biggest test of the season to date. But I think the game that I'm really looking forward to the most now is Alabama, Tennessee, because I, I I was hesitant to, to buy into Tennessee because we've seen Tennessee have plenty of letdowns in recent years. But the way they're playing right now, I mean, again, they, they're they the one team that actually has more yards per game than Ohio State. That's going to be a, a big test for Alabama's defense. And I, I think Alabama is going to need to have Bryce Young healthy in this game because they're going to need to be able to match Tennessee's offensive firepower. And and if Bryce Young isn't 100%, I I think that increases the likelihood of a, a potential upset here.
1: Yeah, Dan, that's going to be number three versus number six. Big time matchup there. I think it's also a chance, though, for Alabama to kind of put all the the criticism aside if they end Absolutely. up coming in and, and just blowing the doors off of Tennessee as, as you know, I think they're, they're definitely capable of doing that. And if they do, I think people are going to kind of, it's going to give Alabama a chance to reassert itself as, you know, a top dog around the country. Penn State against Michigan as well. You know, Michigan's Strength of schedule has been critiqued so far this season. This will be a chance for Michigan to to you know play a top ten team in the country. For Penn State, we'll see if they can you know pick off Michigan and, and you know spoil the undefeated but the potential undefeated versus undefeated matchup in the game at the end of November between Ohio State and Michigan. Those are the two games I have my eyes you know fixed closest on heading into this weekend. Dan. Any
0: big upsets you you envision there?
1: I, I think Alabama and and Michigan win those games. To be completely honest with you, Dan. Yeah, I mean.
0: I, I, that's when, like, gun to my head, I, I have to pick Alabama and Michigan, but I, 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 do, I do I do think Tennessee is going to make things interesting. The USC-Utah one, that, that's one I keep going back and forth on, too. Like, I'm, you know, I'm not as inclined to pick Utah as I would have been a week ago after seeing them lose again, but there's still something that tells me, like, Utah at home in that game might be the pick there so i haven't made a final pick on that one yet but i think we're in for a really interesting weekend of college football really looking forward to watching it this weekend and that'll certainly give us something to talk about next week as well as big 10 basketball media days as you are as people are listening to this big 10 media basketball media days are happening or maybe they've already happened and griffin is already in Minneapolis, or maybe he's on his way back from Minneapolis. So we're not going to talk much basketball today because we'll have more to talk about on that front next week with, of course, no football game to recap. We will, of course, still be talking a lot of football next week as we start looking ahead to the second half of the season, again, with Ohio State opening its second half of regular season against Iowa. But we'll also get some basketball talk in there to talk about everything that we've learned about the team this week.
1: Yeah, and, and just for anyone out there listening, Bryce Sensabaugh was robbed in the dunk contest. I was going to say the same thing. Talk. We didn't get to talk about that, but perhaps you guys saw you know, our, our post on the site and our highlights uh, package there as well that we put up about the dunk contest and the, the, the Buckeyes the on the Blacktop event and everything like that. But yes, well, much more basketball to come, Dan, as we uh, kind of finish, it, finish out here and wrap up.
0: Yeah, my strongest dunk contest take is that when a guy needs six dunks to actually make the dunk, he should not beat the guy who makes a great dunk on his first dunk. And so if it had been up to me, if I had been judging, no hate toward Roddy Gale, but if it had been up to me, I would have I would have picked Bryce Sensabaugh to win the dunk contest. And if he had, it would have been a clean sweep as he also won the three-point shootout.
1: Yeah. Dan's all in on Bryce Sensabaugh. I'm all in on Bryce Sensabaugh. I think I was, I actually remarked if the the whole season was played on the blacktop, Bryce Sensabaugh might be a, a Naismith, a Naismith, you know, trophy finalist this season, but you know, we'll see what happens, you know, on the actual hardwood in a more formal basketball setting.
0: Well, thanks again for listening in and we will talk to you again next week.